It weren't shepherd's pie. Huh? What was it? Cottage pie. <gasps> What's the difference? Shepherd's pie is lamb mince and cottage pie is beef mince. So, in actual fact, that was neither. They were cottage pie. I should know I made it. Well, it was nearly a cottage pie, but the cheese top has turned it into a Cumberland pie. It was cottage pie with cheese. Cumberland. Who made you the captain of the pie, please? Oh, don't get him started. According to him, strawberries are not berries, but bananas are. I don't write the rules. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 212 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that insert new weekly attempt at witty introduction here. I'm Gavin. And Oops. And I do not give a fuck. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> it's been a while. Ah, yes. Have you missed it? No. Not the slightest. <laughs> it's been bliss. <laughs> it's been... Uh, I think we missed two episodes. Well, we missed two, two episodes weeks. of the podcast. Two weeks of the yeah. Two weeks of the show. Yeah, we as were we thinking, were gallivanting we around were, the southwest of the United States. We were thinking, oh yeah, we'll bring we'll bring stuff. Maybe maybe we'll record a podcast. Maybe we'll do one from the road. It'll be fun. And then we actually got on vacation and said, nope, <laughs> we're <laughs> the, on vacation. This is a fuck y'all. <laughs> well. <laughs> Welcome y'all back. Yes, welcome y'all back. But and you did you did like tweet out pithy things <laughs> occasionally while we were on the road. So my pith people were was, not people were not completely neglected. Right, my pith was distributed <laughs> as normal. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess those intentions were genuine because I bought little lapel mics especially for. Whether we did it in the car, which I thought would have been a great idea, or in a hotel room, which would have been, you know, we've done that before. Mm-hmm. But you just remember you're on vacation. Right. <laughs> and, that, and the whole purpose of vacation. Right. I'm not saying that this is work, but... It is work. <laughs> <laughs> it's work we don't get paid for, but it's work. But it's a regular Regular activities, regular home activities right. that we were yes. spending some money to get away from. So right, yes. At, at, yeah. I think it was maybe on the on the Sunday, the first Sunday. I was like, nah, let's let's just because I'm starting to I'm on I'm a, on vacation where we're driving a bit. We're looking at incredible sights and scenery mm-hmm. and stuff, and I find myself trying to figure out how we're going to record a podcast. I'm like, you know what? This isn't a great way to spend your vacation. No. Wor- worrying about no that's the thing. So. Yes. Line in the sand, we ain't going right. to do it. Right. And you've gone further by <laughs> not watching any of the episodes that we missed. Except for this week's. Right. Yes. So when I'm doing my recap, once again, there's going to be, I'm going to sneak something there that didn't happen <laughs> and see if you can spot what it is. I have, I have read enough recaps oh, and, and spoilers, etc. to know pretty much what was going on. So it's, so, it's fine. But, you know, I just... People who listen to our other podcast, the list of lists, yes, may know that I've 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 done this thing where this year 
I'm going through the filmographies of different of different actors. Right. And um it's it's starting to become more difficult to find the few things that are remaining for the 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 actors that I'm 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 doing. Right. But I have so even that, like we would get to the hotel at the end of the day and I would I would like attempt after you fell asleep to like watch a movie or a special or or something that I am missing from from one of these people. And even that, even just doing one a day mm. when we're at home, I typically try to do four or five a day. Even one a day, I was like falling asleep. Yeah, you know, busy. before we before things ended, doing stuff. I was I was diligently trying to keep up with my with my Duolingo and and learning Espanol, and would take a shower at night and then sit in the bathroom and do it because you were asleep, and I didn't want to disturb you with my Espanol mm. as you slept. Yeah. And even that, <clears throat> by the by the end of our vacation, I'd kind of given up on. So. It's not just it's not just this that I was like, you know what? We're on vacation. I'm I'm not going to commit myself to doing all of the things that I do on a regular basis when we we're at home. You know. Yeah, but just what I said like three minutes ago. Right. And I'm just confirming uh, that. Confirming in my own uh, special uh, in, way. Agreement. An agreement. Yes. A slower way of saying. We did have fun though. We did. Yes, we posted a few pictures on, on the Twitter. Sorry, folks on Facebook and Instagram and all the other places where Facebook's at. dead. Let's just sit in there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we saw the Grand Canyon. We went to the Arches. We saw the car wash from Breaking Bad. Now, those aren't the, the, the three highlights in order, are they? <laughs> yes. Wow. We went to the Stanley wow. Hotel. The inspiration for The Shining, but not where The not Shining where the movie film was, filmed, was filmed. Which I think I was under the misapprehension or the misguided knowledge thing of that. that this is because it looks like it's cool. It looks like the hotel from the movie. It's, it's very not, cool. It's a hotel from the miniseries that nobody watched, and also from Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, and also was the inspiration. That's where Stephen King was inspired. To write The Shining. Yeah, lots of lovely things seen in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico, which leaves me just with Oregon and the continental US to see, and you're left with Nevada. Nevada. So that's next summer's vacation, Nevada and Oregon. It's nice that they're they're attached. Right. Tangentially. Through a desert. Yes. We love deserts. Well. <laughs> we love it when our hybrid car dies in deserts. Yeah, that's good fun. <laughs> Thankfully, thankfully there were plenty of uh, Native American casinos for us to, you know, escape to when when things died. This to me was validation of my my vacation planning, which is for every four days of of planning a journey, mm-hmm. I throw another day in there, right? Just to cover in case we we like something so much that we want to hang around, mm-hmm. or shit happens, right? So we had to use one of those. Shit happens days right. when the hybrid died. Yeah, never buy hybrids. Gas or, all the way. No, that's not that's not what that's not what we're, we're we're preaching here. So yeah, it was it was a it was a lovely break. I would have liked to have maybe spent a little bit more time in Utah, but that's all right. You know, we ain't dead yet, so there's always an opportunity. Yep, give it a year. <laughs> 
to go to back. To go back. Right. right. Because again, that kind of joined on. Right. And you have Route 66 tattooed on your arm I now. I don't know how that happened. How'd that happen? <laughs> Woke up. Woke up at Colorado Springs on a table and a man was tattooing the Route 66 side I'm on like, your arm. I'm like, no, that's again. <laughs> and you have a taco turtle. I do have a taco turtle on my ankle. Do you know what I was saying to my, my co-workers yesterday? It's like, I'm, I'm not having a midlife crisis. It's just that this year I've got tattooed again and I have three guitars now. So... <laughs> Anyway, shall we preamble, Medea? Yes, please. Give us some of that vacational coding news. Now, let's all remember that this is spanning like almost three weeks. I'm so wondering some of if this, we're getting nine items today. Some of this may be old hat. You wish. <laughs> First and foremost, most important news of all. We're going to start with, uh, with the best. With the best news. Mazel tov. To Joe Dettin and Sally Carmen, who finally, finally, after a two-year engagement, huzzah, huzzah, have tied the knot. The bride wearing a beautiful blue dress and the groom wearing a, a page boy hat. I like the hat. I really did like the hat. It reminds me of that hat that Stelly has, the, the pink one. It's a Peaky Blinders hat, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's what Newsies wore on the streets of New York City in the really? 1920s. Hey, mister, read all about it. Brooklyn! Etc, etc. Etc. Tanisha Gorey, our Asha, has made another milestone to adulthood as she buys her first home with boyfriend Lucas. Oof. We wish her years of no leaking roofs or the upstairs toilet making that funny singing noise. Wow. That is impressive. That's pretty huge. How Wait, old were you? When... I was about to ask you the same thing. I was 24? 22. 24 when I got my first mortgage. Whew. I was I was 22. 24? Nick was Nick was still a baby when Eli and I bought the house on Waldo Road. See, I think 24 was still pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Tanisha is younger than both, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah, she's 20. Wow. So. Still good on her. Yeah, You know, absolutely. That's, a, that's a great investment. Especially into... in this day and age, am I right? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. Our 22-year-old. Oh, he's not 22. He's... Our 22-year-old last year. <laughs> two years ago. He's in his mid-20s now. <laughs> and finally, Tony Wadsley thanks strangers who helped him out when his car was smashed into by a lorry in a hit what? and run. Who does a hit and run in a lorry? Or truck, if you prefer. A lorry driver. Who, who doesn't want to face the financial responsibility of smashing into a, a TV star's car. He posted this on Twitter. He's like, who smashed into my car? <laughs> Somebody smashed into my car and took off. And these two strangers just happened to have seen it and was able to help him. Oh, wasn't there a chase? Or some kind of <laughs> low-key pursuit? Probably. I but think the I think the lorry driver the, was caught. Yeah, they followed the driver to get his reg number. Right. Yeah, the kindness of strangers and the dickishness of lorry drivers. Right. Sorry, lorry drivers, but you know, <laughs> poor Tony Modsley. Yeah. First, first Maria squirts hairspray into his face, and now this. Was it hairspray? I think it was hairspray. It wasn't mace. The can was too big. I thought it was pepper spray, and uh, he recovered very quickly. But anyway. Yeah. I guess we'll get to that. Yeah. Or that, maybe we won't. I don't know what my notes say. Ooh. Well, it's from this week, so I'm hoping oh, we get to it. In that case, I do mention yeah. it. Right. All right. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News, which 
I think tradition dictates then leads us on to, well, podcast for coffee. Now, we've been on vacation. We have. As have our, our coffee buyers, it seems. Really? We're, we're drinking our own coffees this morning. I'm, I'm surprised because the last time we went on vacation, people bought us coffees so that we would have fancy coffees. And where did we go to vacation last? Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee. That's right. We're getting fancy coffees in Nashville. You know how we nearly died on the interstate when we were going between uh, Nashville and Memphis? Yeah, I have. That was I forty, which we were on in Arizona for like a day and a half. Yeah, isn't that weird? No. It's like it's the same road. No, you continue driving that road, you end up in in mm-hmm. Memphis and nearly dying. We were also on Route sixty six, which goes from Illinois to Arizona, Los all the way to or oh, Paloma. Or however the song goes. Anyway, we're drinking the wrong. It's coffees. a massive country. I'm drinking my my coffee out of a. Oh, would you believe it's a, the talk of the street banner head mug? I would believe. It. You know how I would believe? Because you brought it in. Yeah, I'm the one who poured that cup of coffee for yeah, you. Yeah, I was like, what are you want? Bringing me coffee. I'm just a nice person who's married to you. Yeah, you do nice things for me sometimes yeah, too. Well, occasionally. Mm-hmm. It has been known. <laughs> wow. What are you drinking your bit of? <laughs> even I've just cleared my throat. Wow. <laughs> oh, it's it's one of those. Uh, my my dad's ex fiance Pam's cups wonderful yes. if you want to buy us next week's coffee like if this segment has encouraged you to throw us five bucks you can do so by going to ko-fi.com that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street and we will be very appreciative yes we will this oat milk creamer is not cheap and now on to Helen's favourite section new tubes now now that's I a sound need, I haven't missed I need a special sound here uh oh! I've fallen. Nope, not <laughs> that, that one. Sound, and not I can't get up. We're sending help immediately, Miss. Nope, not that one. One of these. No, we need. To... Oh, no. Ow! No, not that. No, definitely not that. Nope. Do you know what? I think I've recorded over all the others, so we're just going to have to Is go this with. Is a shtick? Oh, I need a. I need a um, a celebratory noise. <laughs> well, I guess that'll do. In the kingdom of the blind. So, we broke through 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. Which means that... We can monetize now. Quite in the day job. We can monetize. Okay, now this really is my favourite section. <laughs> yep. A buck a month. Can't wait. Anyway. That's taken us about a month and a half longer than I thought it was going to take. But still, a thousand subscribers. That's like if you've got seven million people in a room, one of them, statistically, is subscribed to our YouTube channel. Wow. That is a, wow. That is amazing. Wow. It is, it is amazing when you consider how many people are left, are left on this world mm-hmm. after the pandemic. After it happened. Yep. Yeah. So, despite all that excitement, excitement, despite all that activity. Uh-huh. Nothing much happened on the YouTube channel over the last couple of weeks because we were on vacation, we I think. I think we've mentioned. We have returned, though, this week with the ever-popular Last Night's Corey in Under Four Minutes. 
and then I threw in an extra 30 seconds of characters being confused by that London. If any of that tickles your fancy, head over to youtube.com slash the talk of the street podcast, smash that subscribe button and circle the M5 of that notification bell. Woohoo! And now, this. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Gentleman George. This has something to do with The Undertaker. <laughs> Your prize is in the post. <laughs> and probably Eileen. That's right. This was Sean doing his best to curry favour for The Undertaker with Eileen. Yes. Or from Eileen. Yes, oh, Gentleman this- George. Yes, where he and Todd were both talking up The Undertaker for some reason. So that The Undertaker and Eileen could make sweet, sweet love. Yes, but I don't I don't know what's in that for Sean. Let's not pick at that scab <laughs> too much. I was Gavin and you were, you, you got what I need. Oh, it's been a year since Biz died. Right. I now know what Bismarcky is. Last year I didn't. R.I.P. To biz. Because I thought that his last name, Marquis of the Newport Marquis, uh-huh. was spelled M-A-R-Q-U-E-E. As in a Marquis, not Marquis, basically. <laughs> we lamented <laughs> the passing of celebrities from our younger years in, the fo- in their 40s and 50s. So it was a cheery start to the show. You went on about Wilford Brimley again. <laughs> and I always do that. Couldn't remember Brad Pitt's name. <laughs> Because Brimley did Cocoon at the same age as Pitt did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Correct. A tile had fallen on your head, which explains quite a lot of this. <laughs> yes, and now Brad Pitt's going to be running through a bullet train in can't a couple of weeks. That. I can't wait for that. That'll be fun. And, he, and he punches one of those um, Japanese mascot things in the face. Yeah. It makes a squeaking noise. It does. It's hilarious. Yes. Ryan wakes up in Daisy's bed and Daisy wakes up in Ryan's shut. And his plans to make sure that Alia doesn't find out about this is lucky to make it beyond the first commercial break. Mm-hmm. Eileen and George are looking to put the past behind them until an errant cavader and a man who says, oh, have them at each other's throats again. I remember that man that said, oh. Yes, because he had a dead mother. Oh, he sounded like Alan Bennett. Oh. Yeah. It was one of those comedy characters in Corey that Maybe don't work very well. Curtis seems way too keen to sign up male residents of the street to a charity scuddy calendar for Oliver's fund. That was when we thought that that was what was up with Curtis. Fizz is encouraged to get her dating app profile out there and, is, and it isn't long before she gets a bite from a catfish. Natasha is ready to trust others with Sam but confusion over an invite leaves others disappointed. Poor Natasha. Todd schemes to scrape money together to pay off Will and once again manages to damage Paul's relationship with someone in the process. Nick buys a superfluous blender. Marcus's mum needs to learn how to make a decision. I can't remember who Marcus is. And the bishop (laughs) is not happy. Our moment of the week was Fizz standing up for herself against Tyrone and our boring moment of the week was that Nick buying a blender thing. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Where is that Fizz now? That's what I want to know. Where is that fizz now? Where are the fizzies of yesteryear? Now, oh, a little Joseph Heller quote there, so early in the podcast. <laughs> right. Oh, Now, my I'm going to try and recap. Two weeks. Two weeks. At a day. <laughs> Two weeks at a day. In one breath. 
no chance. And the recap is. Yeah, shit happened. Uh, so these mm, these are the storylines that don't really? feature this week. Okay. So the storylines that do feature this week I'll cover when we talk about those storylines. So the okay. three things that happened that we don't speak about at all this week are... Because they are unspeakable. Right. Toya goes back to work, but Sarah sends her home to stop the clients complaining. Joe LaFoe had a problem with it, apparently. Maria announces that the strike is over, but the council are going to landfill the recyclables anyway, which gets Toya involved, and she puts out messages to her activist network, which is still a thing. Yay! During a protest, Toya hijacks a bin van. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just as her first love, Spider, reappears in a, to help and talk her down. Toya puts him up for the night, which makes Kelly and others suspicious and angry that she's already put Imran behind her. Ed comes round to see her and gives her a stay of execution for the rent because she still owes rent money. Yes. She helps Spider break into the old brewery to squat ahead of the big protest thing by stealing the keys from the bistro, which doesn't make Leanne happy. No. They're rumbled by Debbie and Ronnie, but Spider and his crew leg it before Toya's name is dragged into it, or the police are called. Meanwhile, Toya gets a call from George about Imran's ashes, and ridden with guilt, she throws Spider out. She tells George to give the ashes to Syrah, and then Debbie and Adam see this exchange and think worse of Toya. Toya, meanwhile, has a change of heart, but Syrah has already buried the ashes with Rana. That's what happens in that storyline. It'll be a shame, but it did feature... Spider. Spider, which was great, but he seems to be gone now again. And that doesn't make any sense. No. That doesn't make any sense because they've been talking this up and talking this up. And talking this up. We were all quite excited about this. Right. And we were excited to see him again. Yes. And then he just hung about for a week and a bit and then fucked off. As spiders are wont to do. Mm. Yeah. But it did also feature Toya in a bin lorry. Yeah. Which was she did she make the like face that she was like so excited to be driving a, a bin lorry? That's no. who ran into Tony's car. Right. It was Toya. Mm-hmm. Thorn. <laughs> Con Simon in handing over the dictaphone with his confession and then fakes the hundred grand bank payment transfer. They can't get a hold of Peter, so Simon apparently gets the dictaphone and gives it back to Thorne. Why? Because he's an idiot. Peter is furious at Simon for fucking everything up. Peter realises he was harsh and apologises and encounters Thorne again and smashes his car up in anger with a golf club. Adam having to come to the rescue. Peter reignites his fury at Simon for fucking up his chances of nailing Thorn, but not like that, and getting compo, but like that. He doesn't understand why Carla isn't as pissed off about any of this as he is. Then he picks up Nikki from the police station. Turns out that she's not in Spain after all, and she never mentions it. And the show has forgotten that she was supposed to be there. And instead, she was apparently fighting with an ex-punter and got arrested. Peter tells Daniel that Nikki needs his support, but he is more concerned about Daisy. And this seems to rile Peter. And that's as far as that goes. Yeah. Apparently, Nikki is completely out of the show now, though. Yeah, she she made that clear on the socials. Yes, she did. Hope she comes back at some point. Yeah, I guess. I'm I'm just glad because there was also speculation that she and Peter were going to hook up, and Peter was going to impregnate her, and all this other stuff. Yeah, there was like, a bit of a look of it when the two of them were in the in the taxi <sighs> together. Ugh. But thankfully, that isn't going to happen. Thank God. Or at least it doesn't happen this week. Summer and Aaron still haven't gone to Barcelona. Because that's where they were going on their holiday, remember? Was that where they were going on their holiday? So not only were these two minors going on holiday together, they were going to leave the country together. Right. To Barcelona. Barcelona. She's still stressed about her beach body, so she wants to go on an excursions-based vacation instead of a beach vacation. Mm. I don't think there is a beach in Barcelona, is there? Well, it is on the coast, I guess. Aaron can't afford that. 
and neither Summer nor Billy are con contributing anything to the costs, then Aaron gets notification that they've received a free water sports upgrade because that happens. And this dictates that Aaron and Summer say water sports to each other quite a bit. Summer continues to scoosh her insulin down the sink because she learns nothing and is worried about getting fat. Meanwhile, we learn that Aaron is a trained mechanic and following a five-second conversation with Kev, he manages to snag a job at the garage. Aaron cancels the water sports, so Summer starts taking her insulin again, but then Aaron takes a shit on the coffee table. Tell me that didn't happen. That didn't really happen. The shit on the coffee table. That did not really happen. That and is the bit that didn't happen. Curse you for... Saying Aaron takes a shit on the coffee table you know, when I'm, my mouth was full of coffee. I wasn't going to say that until you took a drink of your coffee. So that's what we call improv. You're an asshole. I am indeed. And that brings. Why us do on I to, bring you coffee to, to this week's hard debate? So it's a hard poo, not a soft poo. <laughs> oh, well, that's probably better. It's for the best. Certainly better for the cameraman. <laughs> a hard debate. This week was, what was your favourite era of Kev's bomber jacket? <laughs> was it 1999? Which I think, according to Chris Anstey, is when it was uh, first debuted. 2004, 2012, or 2021? What was your favourite era, Helen? Never. I hate Kev. <laughs> yeah, I think I've made that clear. The bomber jacket's done nothing wrong though, right? It's guilty by association. This is an ongoing poll, but <laughs> with five hours left, 1999 is way out in the lead with 50%, followed by 2004, then 2012 and 2021. So it's very much, we're very much favouring the classic look of right. the bomber jacket. When it wasn't faded and gross. When it was brand new. Yeah, 1999 got 50%, 2004, 25, 2012, 14.3, and 2021, just, well, 10.7 still, still and pretty decent. even 1999, that seems a bit past the craze of the bomber jacket. Because wasn't that like have bomber jackets early ever 90s? Gone, have they ever gone out of style though? Yes. In 1999. <laughs> That's probably why he has it. It's because... It was on sale. All right, we have so much to get through, we and we've barely touched the surface. Now we're going to talk about this week's first storyline, okay? Which is Operation Fizzbomb, and we're Ugh. going to talk about the last couple of weeks of, <sighs> of that first. So Fizz worries that her wedding is cursed when she snags her veil, and Hope hates her bridesmaid's dress and Phil sees her dress. Mimi moves in with Fizz because Mimi's back. Thank mm -hmm. God, Mimi's back. With Fizz ahead of the wedding and trips over Cerberus, which requires her to take a trip to the hospital. Evelyn is sure that she's faking and will later kick her cane away in an attempt to prove it, but it doesn't look like she is. Hope is not happy about the wedding, which everyone ignores. The girls' bridesmaids' dresses get covered in wine and Evelyn and Fizz blame Mimi, ignoring the other obvious guilty party. Which would be Hope. Yep. Then Phil's ex-wife shows up, uh, Camilla, and Mimi also gets the blame for inviting her along. Along with her husband, Prince Charles. Uh. <laughs> oh. God, that was spot on. Well done. It's a kind of mid-coital Prince Charles. <laughs> God, I don't want to think about uh, that. No. Meanwhile, ah, meanwhile, I will never have sex meanwhile, again. Ty, who has been a shoulder for Fizz through all of this, declares his love for her and asks her to think about giving him another chance. She says that she'll always love him but can't trust him with her heart. At the hen night, Camilla has been invited along because she's brought a wedding present. 
and she ruins Maria's Mr and Mrs game by knowing everything about Phil. She leaves and has a rendezvous with Phil, telling him that, that she rushed to him when she got his email, but he doesn't think they sent her an email. Yeah. But from the other end of the street, it looks like Phil is cheating on her, but he explains to Fizz and Elon later, and so with Phil's back and Mimi is banned from the wedding for causing all this mess, inviting Camilla to come and try and break them up. Later, though, we see Hope on her iPad sending more emails. Surprise, surprise. Mm. She also manages to cancel the registrar. She proudly comes clean to Tyrone on the morning of the wedding and grasses, and he grasses her up to Fizz and Phil, and Mimi is off the hook. Hope, by the way, receives no punishment for any of this. Of course not. And I don't think she's been punished for uh, destroying Phil's car either. No. Ty gives Fizz... Beera's pearl earrings as her something old and the wedding eventually goes ahead at a secondary venue and Fizz, despite some doubts marries Phil. At the reception though she tells Phil that she doesn't love him and she's leaving him and she heads straight round to see Tyrone and they winch. <sighs> what have I said all the way through? I never wanted this to happen. Never wanted them to get back together again. No, we don't want them to get back together well, of again. Of course they're going to get back this together again. This is so fucking ridiculous and stupid and I hate it. I hate it so much. They're going to get back together again so that at Christmas... Alina can, Alina come, can come back, back with that baby. With Ty's baby. Right, yes, and break them up again. And Phil has... Phil has never cheated on her. Has always been a good guy. He was a little bit misguided with that whole state thing, but that was so brief and so stupid. He had an idea for a book. That was the worst thing that he did. Right. It was a notion. He forgave Hope for destroying his car. He became friends with Tyrone. He bought her a house. She was in love with him this whole time. Christmas, when Tyrone tried to winch her, she pushed him back and said, Nuh-uh, sorry, mm -hmm. no longer interested. You fucked up. We're done. And when he, as you said, when he first you know, confesses his love to her like the day of her wedding or the day before her wedding. Day before. What does she say? I'll always love you because we have kids together, but it's not like that and never will be again. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the next day, she changes her mind. Vita's after, after over a year. Mm hmm. Of her not wanting anything to do with him and becoming this great, strong woman who, who has finally learned her self-worth because she's finally with a partner who acknowledges her worth and doesn't treat her like garbage. And what does she do? For no reason! Well, with the, so at Christmas... <sighs> Shut up. I hate this. I hate this so much. And this is really the reason... This is the main reason why I was like, you know what, I'm going to watch this week's, but I'm not going to watch it any further back. It's a shame because they actually did the wedding really, really well. It was it was great fun. The I heard the the guest list was confusing. The guest list was very confusing. The fact that Chesney wasn't there because he he had the lurgy and, and stuff, and I think Gemma was there, but... Not the her brother. And the quads weren't there, and... I think it was Kirk that I can't remember. It was all kind of crazy. But the the main thing is that Mimi and Evelyn were there and they sang karaoke and it was great. Give them a show. Right. We So they had the periphery of this wedding was really entertaining, despite the fact that you know, some notable people were, were missing. But the actual the, the point of the right the point of the or the outcome of it 
Because it so looked like stupid. during the vows, it looked like Fizz was going to back out at that point. Right. But she didn't. No. And she married him. Right. And then she backed out. Right. And that's not what you do. No. What a, it, it, you know, it just, it makes her look bad. It makes her look, you know, like a cow. To, yeah. to, to fill with two L's, pour, yeah. To pour fill with two L's. It makes her look weak. It makes it look like all of this growth we've seen in this character over the past year or so. Learning her own self-worth. That big reset button has been sat on. Right. It's so dumb and I hate it so much. I hate it so much. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it either. I was, like I said, I was very adamant that they shouldn't get back together again. The reset button shouldn't be pushed. No. There's, and it's like, if you're going to break a legacy couple up like this, keep them broken. Up. Right, yeah. And they were working so well as co-parents. Yeah, well, there was always little bits of opportunity for drama right. there. It worked. They worked as co-parents. They worked as like this, this triangle of trust between Fizz and Phil and Tyrone, where the three of them were working together to raise these girls and unfortunately no one ever punishes hope so she will continue on her path to become a serial killer yes which is fine sooner rather than later please whatever (laughs) and you know we're gonna get to it but rightly or wrongly it gives hope this idea that this is how right that this is how she gets her way Mm -hmm. that her tactics have succeeded yeah because she as we will get to We'll, 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 yes, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get, get to it. it. All right, let's, All right, let's get into it, let's please. Let's So, yeah, so straight around to see Tyrone and the winch, and then Tyrone takes a shit on the coffee table. <laughs> so now and then Monday. It's the morning after the wedding before. Tyrone is ready to sneak out of his own house. Fizz, his only regret is not telling Phil sooner. They have a quick winch when Evelyn walks in and catches him. So they all sit down with a cup and discuss how weird it has been able to hear Fizz's wedding reception from the house without her being there. Tyrone is keen to tell the girls that they're back together, but Fizz warns him to call Carrie on that until she's spoken to Phil. Later, Fizz and Tyrone worry about how to break the news to Phil. Fizz reckons that an annulment is the way to go, seeing as they never had their post-wedding hole. It's the easiest way. And then there's a knock at the door, and it's Phil wanting to speak to Fizz, so Tyrone, nerves of custard, runs out the back door. Now I have a question. Mm. The whole consummation thing. Right. Does that count if the couple has had sex before the wedding? Yeah. That seals the deal. But it it feels like the deal was already sealed post pre-deal. There was no deal. It doesn't make any sense. It was sense. just two sluts getting their hole off of each other. <laughs> I don't mean that. When I see Phil, I don't mean that. When I see Phil, the first word that comes to mind is slut. Mm-hmm. Slag. <laughs> uh-uh. Phil comes in and doesn't blame Fizz for what happened, calling it cold feet and thinking that they'll look back on this and laugh. No, I don't think so. Fizz maintains that she hasn't changed her mind and she wants an annulment. Phil's mood swings and he demands to know if she's bonking Tyrone because if she is, she can fucking whistle for that annulment. There would be no worse betrayal because now Tyrone is like his best pal and stuff. Yeah, it's weird. That's not great for the poor best man that he had. Fizz swallows dramatically. Who was the best man? Was it just some... Some weedy guy. Oh, okay. Fizz swallows dramatically and says it's not about Tyrone and then she tries not to blink because she stares at Phil. 
She says that she just wasn't happy. Phil asks for a chance to have a conversation before making any rash decisions and asks that she meets him at the bistro for lunch. Surely shows him that much. Then Tyrone, brave as a mouse, comes in after Phil has left and Fizz fills him in. And I like that. And then tells him what happened. They have to keep the relationship secret until the annulment comes through. Isn't this an episode of Frasier? asks Tyrone. Actually, it's several episodes of Cheers, says Fizz. And maybe, you know, a whole season of Friends. Well, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Tyrone heads to Dev's for flowers for Fizz and speaks to Evelyn, bringing her up to speed with events. Tyrone is determined to make it up to Fizz. Evelyn advises avoiding getting his hold off of any Romanian bombshells as much as humanly possible. Yes. Meanwhile, Fizz has gone out for lunch with Phil. He's all dressed up, and when he claps his hands, a mariachi band appears out of nowhere. And, sit- and he's got a rose in his teeth. And the mariachi band is singing... We've only just begun by that famous mariachi artist, El Carpenter. <laughs> Phil shouts over the music to declare his love, and watching on, Debbie comes in her pants a wee bit. Worried that they might be about to lose their mariachi licence, the band have moved on to Bambaleo and continue to play louder than Phil can speak while Debbie remains an orgasm in high heels. Right, yes, that, that romantic, romantic song. <laughs> During a quiet rendition of Bambaleo. La Cucaracha, Fizz remains unmoved. Phil's great idea is to chat about this father on their mini-moon, he calls it. It's never a honeymoon, it's their mini-moon. Because I think it was just like a weekend away. It would be Los Carpinteros. <laughs> thank you, Google. Oh, sorry, I mean, thank you for those Spanish lessons you've been taking. Si. He needs, he needs two weeks to prove to her how good they are together. If he can't change her mind in two weeks, he'll pay for the bloody annulment himself. Back home now, Tyrone comes in and Fizz fills him in. And I like that. And then tells him what happened, explaining <laughs> about Phil's request for two weeks. Fizz reckons it'll be worth it in the end. Tyrone's desperate for his hold, but Fizz is more keen to remind Tyrone how no one can find out about them for the next fortnight. Right, yeah. Yeah. And then what do they do? Later, Tyrone meets Phil in the pub, and now Phil fills Tyrone in. And I like that. And then tells him what happened about the mariachi <laughs> band and the two weeks thing. Seeing as Tyrone is such a great mate, Phil asks him to have a word with Fizz to try and convince her that Phil is worth another chance. So Ty runs home to fill Fizz in. And I like that. And then tells her what happened about his running with Phil with two L's. <laughs> That's the last time I'm going to do that. Oh, Phil tells no, it's him, not. No, it's not. <laughs> Phil tells him to report back that he tried but ultimately failed and she could not be swayed. To kill some time to make it look like he's put some effort in, Ty suggests that they nip off for a quickie. Fizz isn't sure that there's any other kind. And that's what they do. Yeah, so, Fizz. Great decision there. Fizz, a guy that you acknowledge, he's not very good in the bedroom. That's the one you chose. Well, or maybe she's just joking. Because women joke when they say things like that, right? Right. Sure. Ty goes back to the Rovers. Have I ever and said after, that about you? <laughs> Have I ever said that about you? Ty goes back to the Rovers and after a number of low-level innuendos Never. from Phil, who hopes that Tyrone gave Fizz a good pounding and went to bat for him and how he wants a blow-by-blow account. But not like that, Tyro- or that, or that. Tyrone admits that he never gave Fizz a blowjob. <laughs> well, after, I would hope not. After a session at the early bird bingo, Evelyn gets home and has a word with Fizz. Fizz explains the lay of the land. They all need to keep quiet about her and Tyrone being back for two weeks. Or being back, comma, for two weeks. Evelyn suggests speaking to Phil, who up to now has largely been a reasonable man and surely you'll understand, but Fizz insists that they stick to the plan, otherwise she won't get her annulment and she'll have to wait a full year for a divorce. Right, plus... Which is like, so what? Plus, why would would Phil understand when none of this makes sense? (laughs) What could possibly go wrong, says Evelyn? 
Meanwhile, Tyrone is back in the pub with a drunken Phil who is kissing Ty's head and calling him his best fucking mate ever. And, and how, how much the, he loves him. And how the two of them are going to win Fizz back for Phil. On Wednesday, Tyrone and Fizz break the news to the girls that they're back together. What happened to not telling the girls? Well, here's what happened. You know, they're like, we have to be really hush-hush about this and we have to be really quiet about this. But then Fizz lets Tyrone spend the night, which is... And the girls heard him snoring. So the gate, the chick is up. Why would they do that? Why would they? We need to, we need to not arouse any suspicion. So why don't you spend the night? Arouse. I, I just, I, I hate this so much. Not arousal. This, this storyline. Hope takes credit for getting them back together. Right. And Fizz insists that they keep this quiet from now on. From now on, we don't tell anybody. From right. now on. Yeah, because Hope is well known for being able to keep her mouth shut. So from now on, though, that's it. We're telling nobody else, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody else finds out with us. No. So later, Tyrone meets Fizz on the street and pitches the idea of going to couples therapy again, probably on the basis that he knows that Romanian tattoo is going to cause a fuss at some point. He says that he wants to learn from the mistakes of last time, and she agrees, and then Phil gives Ty a call. And the two of them meet later at the garage with The Undertaker to talk tactics about how that mariachi band bombed. Phil's idea is based on his rom-com VHS collection. Oh dear. So later, and predictably, Phil has a boombox <laughs> above his head, and with his belly poking out below his polo shirt, he's playing Peter Gabriel at the factory. Fizz sticks her head out the factory door and has a fit. He declares his love as the other knicker people congregate outside the factory and Sally thinks it's lovely. So, so nobody, nobody on the show, none, none of the writers, nobody thought to, you know, actually research what love bombing means and, and discover that it's actually an abusive, it's, it's a form of abuse and manipulation and not something that you should be proud of for doing or wanting to do and is a bad thing. He's got his boombox playing his retune. Which is, well, it's not great. Oh, the, it, gets, it gets worse. It, Phil, it, but uh, yeah, it gets worse because then he does the thing hello, from that movie hello, that hello. I hate. Phil asks Fizz to fight for the love, doing the motions to the Cheryl Cole song, I think. And then <gasps> moves from Say Nothing to Love Actually and plays Silent Whoa. Night as he goes through the cards that have fallen in the wrong order, making it look like Phil is saying Fizz is beneath him and is full of wind. The knicker people get bored and go back to work. <laughs> back in the pub later, Tyrone helps Phil drain his sorrows. He's paid for the hotel and the mini-moon, so there's no refunds. So Phil has a brainwave and asks Ty to go with him, claiming it would be a laugh and they could figure out his next move. Ty goes back to the and house. And also fuck. <laughs> like rabbits. Ty goes back to the house and tells Phil Fizz about Phil's idea. She's outraged and is further outraged when Ty sheepishly admits that he's agreed to go. On Friday, Fizz and Tyrone are still arguing about the mini-moon and whether Tyrone should go on it or not, because that's a question. He promises to catch up with Phil and cancel. He gets Fizz wet by doing a passable Jack impression. Oh, Vera Love. Oh no, it's my Prince Charles again. <laughs> that was not. Oh, my Owen Wilson. Wow. At the garage, Tyrone is like a hen in a hot girdle and admits to Kev that he and Fizz are back together. Because we agreed not Nobody to else tell is supposed to anybody know. else. Just at that, Phil appears. Because that's why you don't tell him in public. Because Phil is just going to appear. Tyrone makes up a story about having too much work to do and he'll be busy all weekend, so he can't go in the minimum. Kev's slow in the uptake, but agrees. Phil looks crushed and borderline suicidal, so Tyrone changes his tune and says he'll see what he can do. 
Later at the pub, Phil reckons that if Ty can't go on the honeymoon, he won't go either, otherwise he'll just throw himself to his death. So maybe he should just stay in Weatherfield. So Ty agrees to go. And Kev shakes his head, probably jealous that he didn't get an invite. Right, because he would also like to fuck. Right. Like a rabbit. Phil and Tyrone are off on the romantic getaway now. Kev enjoys ripping the piss out the pair of them, especially when Phil announces that he's made a mix CD and it'll be tops and tails at the hotel. Right, because Or otherwise known as Swazant Noof. Because there's only one bed in a honeymoon suite. Mm-hmm. Tyrone pretends that this is still a great idea. The first tune on Phil's CD is All By Myself. It's the wrong disc. And suddenly Phil has become Ross from Friends from season six onwards. Phil's room at the hotel is still decked out for a honeymoon as opposed to an outrageous amount of homosexual lovemaking. <laughs> Whatever that looks like. Just a regular hotel room, probably. Right, yeah, Ty, a honeymoon suite. Ty gives, they can get married now, you know. Ty gives Fizz a call. He's in a dressing gown and face mask and we see his tattoo again. Right, which just confirms that Alina's coming back. <laughs> I think so. Because Phil, this is the first time we've seen it. I think so. It's certainly the first time since Alina Granted, left. this is the first time we've seen Ty's legs right. in a long time. It looks so, like he's enjoying himself. He does look like he's enjoying mask. himself with his face mask and the, and the, and the cushy robe. Mm-hmm. Remember the robe you had in Phoenix? Well, I only had it on for a little while. Yeah, it's true. Phil is singing all by myself in the shower. He's locked himself in there since all the staff in the hotel thought the two of them were man gays. And, that's and on their we, honeymoon. That's as far as we get with that this week. Which would be <sighs> a better storyline. 50 minutes in. We're normally practically done by now. It's wouldn't 21 it, done. Wouldn't it be a better storyline if Phil left Fizz for Tyrone instead of Fizz leaving Phil for Tyrone? That would be a better storyline. And Phil kind of pursues Tyrone. Tyrone insists that he's not gay. And then over a couple of weeks decides that he very much is. Yes. And then they just fuck like bunnies for the, right, yeah. until Christmas when Alina comes back. I would like sees to... Sees what's going on and then leaves without saying a word. Or, you know, hooks up with Fizz. I would like to see it. I would like to see it. Because... Uh, this because, is all being played for laughs. Because Isn't I hate... It? I, because I hate all of this, and yet I love Tyrone and Phil together. So do I. Because they are so adorable together and funny. They were funny, but they could be adorable and funny together without breaking Fizz and Phil up. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the part that angers me. Breaking Phil and Fizz up does nothing No, but Tyrone for these and, characters. Tyrone and Phil here are very much the new Jack and Vera. Right, yeah. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah. And it's, it's, they've really backed themselves into a corner because Phil is a fan favorite now. People love Phil. We love Phil. I don't know if Phil's going anywhere. Right. So what are they supposed to do with him besides just this? Well, he needs a reason to come back on the street because he doesn't live there. Right. Or work there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they've backed themselves into a corner where they can't get rid of this character who is much beloved by people. We better not get rid and of him. And let's be honest, them's thin on the ground lately these days. <laughs> a character that is just universally loved, because I think Phil is universally loved. He's universally loved. loved. Yeah. They just killed off Imran. Hmm. I'm still not over that. So we need somebody to fill Imran's shoes. And Phil is the only one tall enough. To do so. Right. He needs to work on that belly a little bit, though. No, 
know. I like the but belly. Hey, don't we all? I like the belly. As you know. All right. Horny McConnerson. Let's move on to our next storyline, this one of which is warts and all. From the last couple of weeks, Stephen helps Gail and Audrey make up over grapes. While Stephen gets Tim's mum all hot under the collar. Under the, uh, under the collar? That'll do. This is continued the next week when the two of them chat about Italy in the pub. Tim's mum, incidentally, is talking about moving closer to Tim and Sally. Oh, nice. And Faye. Yay! Audrey talks about updating her will, which wakes David up, and he and Sarah go out of the way to mollycoddle their grand now. <laughs> this was really funny. David's asleep on the couch. Uh-huh. Audrey mentions, yeah, I'm thinking about maybe changing my will or whatever, and still on the couch, one of David's eyes opens. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, mm-hmm. it was very well done. David is very good on the couch. She's, that's what I've heard. She <laughs> sees through it and decides to leave all her money to Watts, which is a retail association that her late husband, Alf, who died 25 years ago, loved. But it turns out that she's only joking about that just to rile everyone up a little bit. And she's going to put all the money into trust with Stephen appointed the trustee. This is much to David's chagrin. David tries to get power of attorney via Adam, which Ken overhears, and he grasses David back up to Audrey. So David goes home and takes a shit on a coffee table. <laughs> Sounds like he's already taken a big dump mm. on, on his grand. Yeah, David's... David's been an asshole again. Right, yeah. And Which is fine. You know. Yeah. Stephen hasn't been around for a while. But honestly, who who do you trust more with money? Stephen or Gail? Well, Gail'll spend it in Thailand. Uh, Thailand on things that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> That's true. On Monday, Nina rolls, David still has sand under his foreskin about Stephen being put in charge of Audrey's trust fund. Sarah accuses him of being a drama queen and then heads off to work. Then Stephen, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory to see Sarah and bemoan that he and David aren't getting on. Sarah has to cut him short as she nips off to speak to the sales department, leaving Stephen alone in her office. Mm. And when she comes back, she finds that Stephen's nose is in the books. Mm. He's seen the price of the plane for Silk and reckons that he has an idea how they can save some money and make a bit more profit. Buy from Stephen's company in Milan. Ooh. So Stephen and Sarah haggle over the numbers, which represents a huge saving. Sarah explains to Carla who is interested until it comes out that Stephen is Sarah's uncle. Carla doesn't think working with family is clever and puts a kibosh kibosh on it. As long as it's as long as it's somebody else's family. She has no qualms about working with her own family. If Sarah wants to line her family's nest, she'll have to open her own fucking knicker factory. And Sarah, like Rana, like Rana in that very building, is crushed. Sarah drops round to the barbers to listen to David be a shit about Audrey's will and Stephen. He asks her to speak with Audrey and she reluctantly agrees just to get him to shut up. It's obvious, and this makes Audrey more of a bad person, how much she loves Stephen just kind of accentuates how much she doesn't love Gail. Yeah, it seems like they've made up though, Gail and Audrey. Yeah, but still... Stephen can't put a foot wrong, basically. Right, yeah, because he's he's the boy. Yep. This is this happens this happens in my own family. My mother loves you more than she loves me. Yeah. I think that's true for most people. <laughs> and the And the Rovers. Did I say that last bit about In fairness, that was not true of her other son in laws, so very special. You are special. That's what my mum said anyway. 
In the Rovers, Stephen is shocked that Carla has put the kibosh on the Sulk deal. He tells Sarah that with the uh, skill set that she's got, she's been wasted at that fucking factory. Sarah thinks this is the nicest thing anyone has ever said to her, ever. Oi, says Adam. <laughs> Later, Sarah tells David that she's not spoken to Audrey. She doesn't see the big deal and Stephen being the trustee of the fund. And if David wants to do something about it, he can bloody well do it himself. On Wednesday at number eight, Tim is still pissed at Audrey about Stephen and the trust. Gail's Tim? What does Tim have to do with any of this? <laughs> the next story is Tim. And then my eyes went down and saw Tim's booby. <laughs> what? But not, but not like that. And number eight, what are David you at is still over pissed there? at Audrey about, well, a doodle. At number eight. <laughs> like that. <laughs> David is still pissed at Audrey about Stephen and the trust. Gail suggests a family lunch to welcome Stephen back. At the bistro, they toast Stephen. Nick has managed to dodge the meal at his own restaurant, thanks to Sam, who has also dodged it for reasons. David wants to know who's Well, none of the kids are there. No. David wants to know who's paying for this. Turns out it's Gail. David and Sarah bitch and moan at each other about money and Stephen to the point that Audrey loses her temper and storms off, which reminds me, there's a bit from the last couple of weeks where Lily makes Audrey a I love you gran card, right. hands it over and then says to David, give me that fiver. Right. And David's like, oh, yeah, all your pocket money. And right. Lily was pretty funny in that. Yes. David thinks it's everyone against him. Stephen is upset that no one is thinking about Audrey and all this and he storms off too, but not before David accuses him of trying to screw everyone over. Back at number eight, Audrey apologises to Stephen, but he thinks the cause for all this upset is clear. He thinks he's a source of all detention and in, and in his best Ohioan accent, despite Audrey's protests otherwise, he thinks it's best if he goes back to Milan. So he leaves, which makes Audrey fucking furious when David and Sarah come back. She tells him that Stephen has left and David can't hide his glee. Audrey says Stephen has made her feel important for the first time in forever. And she leaves. And this leaves... <laughs> Fuck you, Gail. Right. And this leaves Sarah and David and Shona to have a post-mortem about the whole affair. Shona suggests that David phones Stephen to apologise and ask him not to go. But that's way too obvious and so it's quickly ignored. David has a better, more complicated idea. If the problem was Audrey feeling important, which it wasn't, maybe there's another way that they can do that sans Stephen. And that's the end of that storyline. What do you think that means, Broomy? I have no idea. What would make Audrey feel important? The love of her family. (laughs) The unconditional love of her family without uh, finances making it sullied. How could they prove that? By making a big Audrey cake. Or just buying her masses of gin. And hope that she poisons herself with it? Sure. Hmm. You've clearly seen spoilers. Maybe. Maybe not. Well, if it's spoilery, I don't want to hear it. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, they're going to try and do something to win Audrey Ring. But again, here we go. We bring <laughs> Spider back. Everyone's excited. He's gone in a week and a half. We bring Stephen back. Is he gone now? Is that Stephen gone? I hope not, because, you know, it it costs money to fly from Ohio to, to the United <coughs> Kingdom. Ohio. <coughs> Milan. Canada. Right. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of Canadians complain about the accent. Right. That he's got an American accent. Right. A Midwestern the Midwestern American accent is is fairly close, close to a Canadian accent. It's close. When we go into We both say A. When we a go lot. Into, when we go into Canada, 
I don't really notice a huge difference in the, no. in the accents. It depends upon which province you're in. Right. Right. Because in, in Montreal... En Francais. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a bit of a en oh, French oh, accent. Oh, oh. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Whereas people from Ontario, hey, they, they speak like they're from Minnesota. Hey. Hey. Right. And people on the West Coast, they talk like they're on the West Coast. Because it's all the same thing. Whatever. Northern California, Vancouver, same thing. Right. <laughs> and people on Prince Edward Island talk like they're in an L.M.M. Montgomery novel. You're comparing real life to a, a fictionalized and written accent? Yes. They all speak like they're, you know, in Anne of Green Gables. Oh, okay. That works. Which is Forsooth. set in Prince Edward Island. Or PEI, as the kids are calling it these days. Right. <laughs> have hi, we, hi have, Chloe from Nova Scotia. Have, have we offended all of our Canadian friends yet? I think so. <laughs> I think we did that ages ago. <laughs> eh? Yeah. With it all a boot. I, I think this is supposed to be funny as well. Is it? David's r- ridiculous reaction to this. Uh, he doesn't want to go cap in hand to Stephen. No. Stephen's, look, I'm just taking care of this. It, it could be anybody though Right And he's he's not going to be wanting to go cap in hand to anybody He wants And it's totally ignoring the fact that He's not getting this money until his grand dies mm-hmm. So acting like this money is so important Is saying to his grand that he wants her to die Sooner rather than later Sarah has been an uh, oddly uh, calm and uh, reasonable voice in all this And Nick just cannot be bothered Because he has his own money So he doesn't care Which it came out he stole from Elsa which was funny. Right. Yeah, we're... Because Stephen's like, holy shit, stuff's happened since I've been here last. Right. We're kind of we're kind of the Nick in this situation, aren't we? A little bit. Yeah. Um, can we talk about Sarah's hair? And how much her, hairdress- how much her hairdresser hates her? <laughs> what, is, what is going on there? Well... What is going on I, there? I think she's just uh, sick of people going on about Adam's hair all the time. So, Sarah seemed to have hair on top of her hair. Right. Yeah. It's obviously a hair extension. It's, oh, was it? It's obvious. It's obviously something that somebody tacked to the top of her head, and I'm I'm really confused as to why anybody thought that was a good idea. It had a kind of Star Wars feel to it. <laughs> I mean, not a Leia feel to it, but right. Sarah no. Sarah could have been a character in a science fiction movie with that hairdo. She she could she could be in the uh, the capital district in. Um, in, in uh, there we go. The Hunger that, Games. There we go. That's science fiction. Yeah. There we go. Dystopian science fiction. Is there any <laughs> other kind? No. Star Trek is more positive. Mm. That's about it. Yeah, it was. It was a hair haircut and a half. It well, was. Haircut, but you know it I mean. was distracting. And not that? in a good way. It's like, what is that thing on top of her head? Why is Mimi's dog sitting on Sarah's <laughs> head? Kinda, wasn't it? But kinder than that. Ah, uh, yeah. I just. It's not her hair, so it doesn't. No, matter. no, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. I just hope that the, they give her a normal haircut next week. Right. And you hope that she's back in that leather Leathers, skirt, leather trousers. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, you like those. Wow. All right, moving on. It's been. <laughs> I can't believe it's been two weeks since we've last talked about Tim's Bobby, but let's do that now. Do on we Monday, have to? It's Sally's birthday, and Tim has put on a spread. But not like that. Croissants, cake, and a bit of fizz. 
they arrange for a bit of a splash but not in, like the, that. in the hot tub. So later in the hot tub, Tim is trying it on with Sally, which is against the therapist's advice. And then Tim announces that he's getting a boner. So they both rush out, out of the hot tub, back to the house, rather than just getting their hole in the hot tub. Nobody wants to clean that. Well, they're cleaning it. Well, Sally's cleaning it. Right, yeah, and she doesn't want to. So instead of doing the normal, sensible thing of having sex in a hot tub, they walk up the stairs, and that is enough to render Tim's bobby useless. Sally thinks it was worth a bash, but Tim feels worse now than ever. He goes off for a walk to clear his head, by which he means go to the pub. And masturbate. Tim and Phil, who I don't think have ever spoken together, are chatting about women when Sally tracks a man down and asks for a private chat. She reminds him that they are husband and wife and are in this together. Tim seems to have perked up after his chat with Phil and agrees that they nip home for a meal based on the culinary styles of China and the Far East. <laughs> on Wednesday. That would have worked better if I could say culinary. 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 There we go. On Wednesday in the pub, Sally has been listening to a podcast with Sting about his ten- tantric sex cock and it's given Sally some ideas. Tim is affronted because Ag is at the bar with an earshot Sally goes off to put a police playlist together, making Tim promise to listen to the podcast. And later, Tim he can't even get it up, and then she wants him to do tantric sex. Does she not understand that 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 requires a lot of concentration and upper body strength? Well, it seemed to be uh, focusing on the looking into each other's eyes, but which Tim has already proved that he can't really do without laughing. He can't. No, he needs hot water. This is what we've learned. Tim. Or and a, and a scoosh. And a, and a jet stream. There we go. So Tim meets Aggie in the community garden and checks to make sure that she hasn't heard anything of what they were talking about earlier. She asks if he's okay and he admits that there's still a problem. Aggie says Sally isn't likely to give up and nor should he. Right. So for, for whatever reason, Tim goes home, checks that the house is empty <laughs> and hops onto a non-kinky porn site and knocks one out at the kitchen table. Who? Who Googles adult videos? Normal stuff. Normal ones. Normal ones. I don't I don't think anybody searching for porn has ever said adult videos, normal ones. Yeah, but go easy on the, the porn. Give me porn, but light. Porn light. Nothing, Would that be like erotica? I think it'd be like softcore porn. I think you'd be wanting to look at... at uh, a, a, Cinemax. A, a scuddy mag or whatever. Right, but he takes his jacket off, so we know he's serious. Right, this is... <laughs> this, this is serious business. Yep, this requires this bare arms. It's something <clears throat> to be ashamed of and to only do in in privacy and not to let your partner know you're doing it because... Well, because this is what about tw- that doesn't say, Tim? Because this is 2022 and we're still ashamed of porn? So when Sally comes home, she finds Tim full of the joys. He's cooking dinner, opening a bottle of wine... And while there's a weirdly familiar smell in the air, Sally is impressed at his new attitude. He reckons that he'll be smashing her against the headboard in no time at all. And that's as far as we get with that. So, I don't know if every storyline that I see has to have something to do with addiction. But are we now going down the line of Sex Tim porn is addiction? going to be addicted to pornography? Or that's the only way that he can get sexually aroused? I hope and, not. And do we have to see any of this in Coronation Street? Because a lot of this has been... A lot of people have been complaining about the sex in this show and it's like, it's a soap opera. What did you expect? Yeah, but I don't know if I want Tim to be talking about his boner in a hot tub with Sally. 
I didn't mind that. I can miss. I can, I can do without it. I think. You saw Titan. How are you squeamish about? I'm not squeamish about. It. I just don't think it should be in Coronation Street. Why not? Because it's seven thirty. Well, eight o'clock now. I've seen far more shocking things on British television. Yeah, but it's a but it's a eight o'clock in the evening sixty year old show. It feels like it should have gravitas. Have you have you maybe seen? Maybe not gravitas, but maybe not appealing to the lowest common denominator. And it kind of feels like that's what it's doing here. Is sex the lowest common denominator? The ch- why are you suddenly? Because it, I'm it's, shocked it's, at your prudishness. It's it's not prudishness. It's the it's the it should be better than than low rent innuendo, and that's kind of what it. It's turning into a carry on film. Ali Ali said was. I'm starting to feel something down there. Yeah, and then Sally says, oh, it isn't hard, and then looks in the camera, and then Sally says something about winks. coming, and then looks in the, right in the camera. I don't know. It just it feels a bit cheap. I don't know. I Having seen American soap operas... Yeah, but this isn't an American soap I know, opera. I under- you know it's not an American I under- soap opera. I understand that, but having seen, having A, seen American soap operas, and B been told by british friends of ours how puritanical america is and how much more open-minded and free with their sexuality they are over there in the uk it makes me laugh when well when it comes to tv (laughs) that's undeniably true when it comes to tv The, the, the stuff that you can show on you can't have anybody say fuck on network tv here yeah but nobody watches network tv they watch prestige television. Plenty of people watch network TV. My mother. That's it. And actually, no, not even my mother. She's cut the cord. She doesn't even have cable anymore. I don't know. It just... It, you it, do know. And, and what you know is that I'm right. I, I don't know that you're right, because it seems kind of silly to me to be squeamish about these sorts of things. It's not been squeamish about it. It's been squeamish about it in this show. I, I don't care if you can have as much sexual innuendo or full frontal nudity and anything else and I'll, I'll sit and watch it and be happy as Larry with anybody else but not in this show this isn't that show mm. I wonder if it's because it's something that you've grown up with and you have um, you have a different relationship to it than, than I do because I want more of this in this show I want it to be more adult and more grounded but this hasn't been adult this has been childish about it this is a, a kind of childish innuendo and double entendre kind of thing this, this is this is lowest comedy are you saying this is Finbar Saunders and his double entendres and, and Viz magazine and I tell you something that's not aimed at an adult audience are you saying that adult men and women in um in a married sense uh when it comes to sex never say why are you suddenly trying to go into the the macro here. Never I'm talking say, about the micro. In this specific example, in this show. But this is what I'm saying. It this, doesn't matter if it's in any other other show. But this is no. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying. Going the carry on route. No, isn't really the way to go. But for it's me. not really going the carry but on it route. It is because it's just staring it's, into the camera when you're saying it's only, hard and when you're saying come. And it's, oh, it's, is that is that what we're passing? That's humour now. In this show, that, that's, that's, that's where we're getting a laugh from. We can't get laughs from anything else. We've got it, to go down this route. But it, we do get laughs from other things because it's only these two very specific characters where before it used to be, it was, it was Kirk and Beth who were making all the double entendres and stuff. And we loved it. But we don't love they were, it. They weren't making double entendres though because Kirk's not intelligent enough to make a double entendre. <laughs> well, no, but he says things that we acknowledge as double entendres 
But but anyway, we what, are we, we are we saying, are a month away from having somebody use a swanny whistle when Tim is in the hot tub to oh he's got an erection. Whoop. Feel, no, that's that, not going to happen. Feel, oh, of course, it's not going to happen. But 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 listen, listen. In real life, married couples make jokes like this all the time okay, with say one another. Say something to me that doesn't have the comeback. This isn't real life. The purpose of this show, from the very beginning, the inspiration from this show was to have a show about real people in real situations. Things like this happen in real situations with real adults who are married to one another, who've been married for a long time and make goofy jokes about sex and say goofy things like this to one another that may appear childish, but when it's just the two of them alone, it's just, it's just meant to be playful and funny. Yeah. And then, we do and, this. And then real, and then real life people go off and do a shit. I don't want to watch that either. <laughs> and yet you claim that it's happened over and over and over again on coffee tables on this show. <laughs> It just so happens that this week it does. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. I, I don't mind the Tim's Bobby storyline. <laughs> Moving line. on. Just don't try and make it funny like Moving this. Moving on. Our next storyline this morning is Homeless homeless Daughterless Stew. Last week, Homeless Stew's latest package to his daughter has returned. But which, thank God, not beardless. Which knocks him for six. He ends up getting pissed on the job, leaving Zidane to cover for him. And then he takes a shit on the coffee table. <laughs> On Monday, outside speed dial, Stephen ticks off another old bit of skirt when he's introduced to Yasmin. And Yasmin seems to be quite taken by the accent as well. Along comes Homeless Stew with some coffees and Yasmin tells him how impressed Sedan was with him yesterday, working his fingers to the bone. <sighs> so in speed dial, Homeless Stew thanks Sedan for covering for his drunkenness yesterday, but after everything he and Yasmin have been through, he's going to have to throw Z under the bus by confessing what really happened to his gran. So later, Homeless Stew explains to... Yasmin about being pissed out of his stitch yesterday and Zidane was covering for him. Homeless Stu, though, takes full responsibility. Yasmin is happy to overlook it given the problems that he's got with his daughter. Right. And to complete the loop later, Yasmin has a word with Zidane about covering for Homeless Stu. Yasmin thinks it's sweet and Zidane is happy that Homeless Stu makes her happy. A good heart these days is hard to find, says Yasmin, suddenly sounding like Fergal Sharkey. And that's as far as we get with that this week. It's weird that, that nothing ever came of that conversation with Stephen about having dinner there. Isn't it? Yeah, because they there went to the this, bistro, didn't they? Mm. Yeah, there's this whole conversation about, you know, wanting to eat at Speed Doll and, and everything. And this introducing Stephen to Yasmin. Mm. And then nothing. And now Stephen's gone. You're not going to introduce Stephen to Yasmin for Stephen just to go. And, there really is no point to that then. And yet that's what happened. So I don't think Stephen's really gone then. I don't think so either. Hmm. Hmm. Oh God, are we going to have like a love triangle between Yasmin, Stephen and Tim's mum? And homeless Stu. Oh God, that would be a square. Mm -hmm. As long as it ends up with Yasmin and Tim's mum hooking up, I'm happy. Okay. I'm fine with it. Please make that happen. Looks like we're going to get uh, Homeless Stew's daughter. We don't mention her this many times without her. Right. Eventually showing up. Right. And Just kind of like Candyman in that. fuck off. In that respect. Right. Right. So what happened was that she, he, Stu kept on sending packages to his daughter. Uh-huh. He never heard anything back, never got any thanks. But now one has been returned. So either his daughter's moved. Right. Or... His daughter's just 
refused wrote it. Return to Sender on yeah. it. And yeah, so I, I figure we're going to find out a little bit more about Homeless Stew's uh, previous life, background, and, and family deal. Which would be nice. Yeah. All right, let's move on then to our next storyline, which is Up on the Roof. Up on the Last roof. Last week, number one ceiling is still leaking. Steve has a go at Jacob and refuses Ed's help. He Googles how to fix a roof, but shits his pants when he gets on the second rung of the ladder. He ends up hiring the husband of one of the taxi hires, promising to pay him cash. The husband takes three grand up front from Steve for materials and then he never shows up. Steve later pays the scaffolder up front as well, who does arrive though and throws up enough scaffold to repaint the Statue of Liberty outside number one. And then fucks off. Right. Well, he's done his job. Right. On Wednesday, Aggie is sick to the back teeth with a scaffolding outside the house. Ed is adamant that it's got fuck all to do with him if Steve has employed a cowboy. As is Michael. Michael is pissed off by the scaffolding too because yeah, he has Michael. to push. Yeah, we got to see Michael. He looks like he's lost a little weight but he and got a haircut. And he has to like push push the baby in the stroller on the cobbles because of the scaffolding. Aggie doesn't care and tells Ed to sort it. Pronto, tonto. Later in the pub, Ed is having a pint with Paul and Aggie. She asks Steve when his builder's going to shop, which triggers Steve and Ed to get laid into each other. Aggie breaks it up and tells Steve he'll fix the roof for mates' rates. Ed is fuming, but Steve seems oddly relieved that he won't be murdered by Tracy now. Or at least, not for that. With that settled, Ronnie comes along to pitch a new opportunity to Ed and Paul. He's picked up a piece of land on the cheap with room for three houses. He's going to put the money down and he just needs Ed and Paul to do the work. They will make a killing. And after a few libations to celebrate, Paul has some fancy ideas to make the place more appealing, like a communal garden with barbecue area, which makes room for another house. They're all pished when Aggie comes along. Aggie, Aggie, Aggie. Oi, oi, oi. Oh, that is a thing over here. I was wondering if it was. She's unimpressed that once again it seems that Ed is investing time and money into something that won't materialise one of Ronnie's harebrained schemes. On Friday, Debbie visits Ed and tries to book him for a job fixing the electrics at the rape hotel. It's today or never though. Aggie puts a kibosh on that or at least tries telling Ed that he has to sort out Steve's roof first. So there's a conflict between Ed and Paul and Ronnie about the priority of Debbie's job and once Paul learns that it's mates rates, he fucks off to the rape hotel with Ronnie. Steve decides to accuse Ed of ripping him off, which is weird because it's mates rates and it's not actually paid him anything yet. No, so that and sends, he's already been ripped off by somebody else. So that sends Ed off too. At the rape hotel, Ronnie is still going on about the development, which she reckons will earn them all 80 grand each. Ed is out, thanks to Aggie, and Debbie comes along and it looks like it's a bigger snag list now that people have learned that they're coming in to fix things. So up in the room, Ed is fixing the radiator when somehow he gets electrocuted and dies. <laughs> No, he doesn't. He, but he's well. He does. He does as, as best as he can. He, he does flies across fly the room. back onto the bed and then rolls off, right? As if dead. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of of Nigel Havers, who also died in a bedroom. Ed says Paul twice. Ed like that. Ed. Ed. Aggie learns from Steve that Ed is at the rape hotel rather than being up on his roof. She's about as pissed off as he is until she gets a call from Ronnie explaining about Ed being electrocuted. Aggie rushes to the hospital where Ed is smoking with the sleeves of his shirt burnt up to the elbows and his hair all standing up. And steam coming out of his ears. Mm -hmm. And Debbie arrives at the hospital too, Ronnie explaining that the electrics at the rape hotel are fucked and she reveals that their safety certificates are not up to date Uh since uh, Ray Weinstein left. Right. So Aggie gets some water for Ed, which isn't recommended. You never put water on an electrical fire. Ed has bandaged mittens. Oh, Oh no. But he seems okay otherwise, but maybe he won't be playing piano anytime soon. 
Debbie sticks her head in and immediately Aggie starts talking about compensation when she learns that Debbie is the owner of the chain of rape hotels. And that's mm. as far as we get with that this week. Yes. I am all in for Debbie Versus and Aggie, Aggie head to head. Ding, 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 ding. And, and Ronnie and Ed just standing back and letting their women fight mm-hmm. their battles for them. Right. Maybe giving themselves a quick wee footer <laughs> as this goes on. But yeah, these Thinking two... Thinking of investing in a mud wrestling pit right. for that communal garden. Debbie is understandably cautious to apologise for anything if it's not necessarily their fault. That's why she wants to have an investigation. She also wants to brush it under the carpet. Right. But Aggie's having absolutely none, none of, of this. It. And it's interesting to see... Uh, Debbie not with the upper hand. Right. And she's very much the uh, subservient in this right. this little fight so far. But you know that that Debbie's got teeth and claws and is very much capable of looking after herself, as has Aggie. But the two of them going head to head. I mean, you talk about Eileen and Gail. These no, two this are. Is the, this is the, the the fight of the decade. Yes. These two go uh, go head to head. Right. It's 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 Rocky and that Russian all over again. Right. I'm already disappointed that it's not going to turn out like this, but no. at the moment that looks like it's how it's going to go. And I'm and I'm in for that. Yes. I'm just glad that, that the Baileys are involved in storylines that have nothing to do with racism yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or or Aggie being abused by her boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that didn't turn out to be anything though. Right, yeah. So that was a Peter storyline, remember? Yeah, right, yes. We brought yes. in Aggie to start a Peter storyline. Right, line. yes. We built a storyline for a man on, on top of a woman suffering. Like, that never happens in this show. That'll never catch on. No. All right, moving on. Our next storyline Speed is, of which. You get a storyline. You get a storyline. Sean gets a storyline. We all get a storyline. Last week, Todd and the Undertaker tried to coax a violent reaction out of Frank to prove that he's a bully but Frank is totally reasonable when Todd basically throws iced tea down Frank's shirt. George overhears Frank reenact a scene from the gangs in New York down the phone to someone for some reason and assumes that this is Frank being a a bully again. George warns Sean off, but when it all gets cleared up, Sean promises never to doubt Frank again, which makes Frank look shifty. So up until that point, we're thinking, well, Frank's... A pretty decent guy. Frank's a decent guy. He's an older guy. The, the days of being a school bully are well in his past and he's he's not that person anymore. But that shifty look kind of suggests otherwise. So on Friday, Sean is excited about the return of Dylan because Dylan's coming back. Yay. Frank seems disinterested and Sean seems worried about this and Helen also seems disinterested. <laughs> then Dylan arrives at Nina's roles. He's Yay. tall now. He's chatty and he assumes that George is Sean's boyfriend. It seems like he's had a character transplant. Well, he's not as moody as he was the last time, but no, he's, he, he's a little bit older, a little bit wiser. And this is what happens with teenagers. They're one person one minute and they're a completely different person five go. minutes later. And come Sean to set the record straight, Dylan will get to meet Frank later. But and Dylan s- thinks it's really cool that the Undertaker is an Undertaker right. and asks him what's the grossest thing he's ever seen, which I don't think is something that you want to ask an Undertaker. No, I imagine they see very gross things on a several Daily times basis. in a day. Right. So I'm not sure how Frank has got the wrong end of the stick, but he's got the wrong end of the stick because Eileen's been talking about having a dinner to celebrate Dylan coming back, but Frank's gone and booked a table for him and Sean, thinking that Sean won't be part of the dinner for Dylan or something. 
I don't know. Frank has got the wrong end of the stick and so leaves allowing Sean and Dylan to spend some time together and Sean is kind of confused by this. Hmm. Eileen's dinner for the house wasn't shepherd's pie or cottage pie. It was Cumberland pie, according to George. And it's hilarious because we've had this conversation in this very house. Every time I make shepherd's pie, we have this conversation. Right, because it's never shepherd's it's never pie. Shepherd's it's pie. always cottage pie. Well, it's usually Cumberland pie because I always put a little bit of cheese on the yeah on the, the tatties and it's pretty good and it's and it's further complicated by the fact that here in america when we make cottage pie or shepherd's pie we use different vegetables than you do put sweet corn in it you fucking animals <laughs> everyone tells him it's delicious everyone tells george to fuck off Eileen calling him captain of the pie police <laughs> well there's a title for an episode <laughs> Talk turns to Frank's ab- absence. Sean insisting that he probably didn't want to overwhelm Dylan, a grown boy. And Todd's like, well, it's only one person. to George and me and he's not overwhelmed. And he thinks that maybe Frank has given them all a, a swear. And Sean is like, no, 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 not my Frank. Right. And then looks, yeah, 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 my Frank. Mm. What's going on there? Mm. Still maybe thinking about what The Undertaker said to him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You know what I like the best about this this whole scene? Absolutely nothing. Todd and the Undertaker with the tea towels on their shoulders. Doing the dishes. Doing the dishes. Yeah. It's so cute. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. More of that, please. Right. More of men doing dishes and having healthy relationships with one another. Please. Yeah, we're going in the, in the direction of Frank really being a... Because he, he's avoiding Dylan, I think that's clear, right? He's avoiding this whole family thing and thinking uh, that it's too soon to meet Dylan and stuff. And you know what? He's he's not necessarily wrong about that. I mean, how long how long have they been dating? Has it been a month? Yeah. But then just a month, right? Well, yeah. It hasn't been very long and I don't know. I, yeah, but you're like 10 feet away from the kid standing outside on the doorstep. Right. You're not going to stick your head in and say hello. But still, you... You should be a little cautious about introducing your kids to your partners. Not if, Sean. Well, no. But but maybe Frank is being the more adult of the two of them by saying, you know, maybe it's a little too soon for me to be meeting your kid. It's certainly coming on coming across as being pretty suspicious. And I think we're led to think it's more suspicious by Frank's shiftiness and by Sean looking concerned about something. I don't know. I... I, I, I believe the whole sean looking concerned about thing i didn't really think that frank seemed shifty it seemed like it it looked to me like he was uncomfortable with the whole situation and maybe maybe that's it some people don't like kids right some people don't want to meet you know their partner's kid if they don't know if they're going to be with their partner for very long or if this kid is going to become a major part of their life or or anything so I'm not all that bothered. Granted, I didn't see the stuff. Yeah, you missed the shifty look last week, and you know it may not, and even that may not have looked like a shifty look to me. I mean, you thought that Wendy oh, no, looked. I would have. Okay. Without a doubt. Because you thought Wendy looked shifty a couple of weeks ago, and I said I didn't get that vibe from her, and it turns out that she wasn't shifty. I, th- I think we were meant to think that she was perhaps shifty, but we'll get to that. Yeah. In fact, we'll get to that right, right now. now. As we talk about Wendy Flaming Crozier. Yay! Just some scenes on Friday, there's no lead up to that. At Wendy's, Abby assumes that every time Wendy types on her computer, it's something bad about her. 
Wendy has had this up to her tits and suggests that they go to the park to get Abby to shut up. Back from their walk, Wendy is about to make roasted cheese, but they're out of bread, so she nips out, which allows Abby to hack into uh, Wendy's laptop to read the comments. Why does nobody ever password protect anything on this show? Unless that's important. To the plot. But Wendy's forgotten, I don't know, her tampons or whatever, so she comes back and catches (laughs) Abby in the act. Yes, because that's what Wendy needs right now. Right. Tampons. Oh, I've gone to the shops without my tampons, but where is my mind? Hmm. I thought you were on my side, says Abby, who has the fucking nerve to be offended by this. And she remains indignant until Wendy goes through her whole report and points out that there's far more positive adjectives used than negative ones. Right. And her whole report is going to recommend that she gets custody of Alfie. And she uses Control F to teach Abby a lesson, which yeah. I'm sure you loved. Yeah, it made me think of what my favourite keyboard shortcut is. Yay. It's Control Shift and using the cursor keys to select large areas of Excel. Oh. What's your favourite keyboard shortcut? Control P. To print? Yes. Somebody said on Twitter that their favourite was Alt F4 to shut this shit down. <laughs> so that was quite funny. I also like Control Alt Delete. I feel like that's a very clean way to shut everything down. Uh, the Windows key and M to minimise everything. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. And the Windows Shift M to bring everything back up again. Ooh. It's the reverse of that. Yeah, which is funny because is that really a shortcut when you're pushing three keys where one key would do? Well, it is a shortcut because the alternative is clicking on every window to minimize it. Yeah, I suppose. Hmm. I'll venture forth and say there's no suppose about it. Anyway. So... Wendy tells Abby to stop focusing on her own shortcomings, although she's kind of enabling Abby to continue this behaviour. It seems at this point that there's no other reason for Wendy to be back in the show, which seems a bit of a shame. So again, it's the third one. We've got Spider coming back and then leaving. We've got (laughs) Stephen coming back and then perhaps leaving. And then we've got Wendy Flaming Crozier coming back and sounding like this is the only reason that she's here. But we know better. She's not talk to ken yet she needs to talk to ken she'll talk to ken how do you feel about abby getting the recommendation about uh custody then well we knew it was going to happen sooner or later so yeah but wendy's not wrong this is the part of abby's problem is that abby doesn't love abby abby doesn't see any self-worth in herself and that's why she's constantly doing things to undermine herself Mm. And it's nice that somebody finally acknowledges that instead of just telling her to think positive or stop taking drugs. Right. (laughs) You know, this is like the first real decent advice she's gotten in a long time. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Kev isn't very smart when it comes to women and Roy's not very smart when it comes to emotions. Mm. Yeah, I, I liked how Wendy delivered it. Putting in those keyboard shortcuts made it sound kind of more passive aggressive than it really was, but I liked that passive aggression. I thought, I see, I didn't take it as passive aggression. I just thought it was just a gr- a great way to illustrate the point that she uses more positive words than negative words in describing Abby, and she's just she's saying it in a way that will finally get through to Abby instead of saying, "Oh no, I think you're great." You know, she's proving it by pointing out how many times she uses these positive words. Right. 
And then Abby, of course, just still focuses on the negative. Yeah. Because she's Abby. I'm just kind of disappointed that no one seemed to get any roasted cheese at the end of all that. <laughs> anyway. It happened off screen, just like the shits on the coffee table. Oh, they went off screen. <laughs> the camera was underneath the coffee table. <laughs> oh, no. Ob- obviously, right? God, the number of times. Be creative with how you're showing this. Our final so story many line, ass cracks. Our final storyline this morning is red pilled and rose gold from last week. Well done. Or the week before. Maria's environmental stance puts the binman on strike and someone retaliates by posting deep fake revenge porn pics of Maria online. Her response just makes things worse and she gets doxxed by this character called Red Pilled 100, who I suspect might be Max. Maria gives a press conference to quell the strike, but Gary attacks a binman he suspects is Red Pilled 100. She wants to quit until Sally talks around, but the online abuse seems to continue. And then Gary takes up... No. <laughs> now... I'm a, I'm a sexist because no woman has taken a shot on the coffee table yet. No. Okay, Maria does it. <laughs> I said no. Oh, sorry. I hear what I want to hear. It, was that part of the revenge porn? Is, was it one cup, two Marias? Yikes. Don't Google that. <laughs> that's, that's 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 leaded way back. That is from that, that is the the way back machine, the way back <laughs> porn machine. It's not even porn, really, is it? It's just in Germany. It is. <laughs> Hello Gems. to our German fans. <laughs> so we've offended the Canadians and the Germans today. Right. We're we're batting a hundred. Yeah, that invite to the UN Council is <laughs> still pending. All right. Ah, we couldn't do any worse. On Monday, at the Rose Gold Flat, Maria has got the strike sorted out and hopes the trolls have had enough now. She heads off to work and Kelly goes along to keep her company. At work, Kelly has her bag and heads off on a wee secret mission pretending to go for coffees. Addy distracts Maria's suspicions by asking for a hot shave despite not having any facial hair. Later, Addy and Kelly have a word outside. Addy kind of asks Kelly out and as she's knocking them back, a big wad of £20 notes falls out of her handbag and what the fuck, says Addy. Kelly rushes off and he chases after her, wondering why a teenage girl would be walking around with such a massive wad. Then I like that. In Nina's rolls, Kelly explains about the money that Gary found at her dad's house. Well, actually, it was Paul and Ed that found it. Kelly found a list of names and addresses in the bag that Gary hadn't seen and she's been spending the last month or so going round the houses, giving this money back to people that Rick the Chin ripped off. Andy suspects that Gary knows nothing about this activity. And that's how this is going to stay, capiche? insists Kelly. Addy thinks it's a terrible idea. And so with this niggling in her head, she goes back to the house and she tries to tell Gary and Maria about the money, but the two of them are too busy chatting about the trolling situation. Right. So Kelly says, fuck it, and goes to bed. Yes. On Wednesday, Gary heads off to work, which gives Maria anxiety as she's been invited to a council function to clear the air with the binman, so Kelly insists that she can cancel her plans to get a free lunch with her. Mm-hmm. And the function is at Debbie's Rape Hotel. Yay. Before the electrics are all fucked up. Right. Kelly nips off to get a burger on a stick, but not like that. Mm-hmm. And after a fellow female councillor gives Maria her backing, the creepy pit prick the creepy prick that Gary twatted at the last press conference comes over and vaguely and then explicitly threatens Maria and her green agenda. Kelly comes to the rescue and tells the prick to do one. So after that's the, the that's the head union guy for the bin men, isn't it? The one that it? she had that meeting with initially. 
It was who, like, it who, was definitely the guy who at the was like, no, I want to speak to seen. your, I want to speak to your boss. She's like, no, I am the boss. Right. Yeah, it's that guy. Was isn't it? it? I, I think know. so. After the burger on the stick, Kelly has to nip off for a shite, which allows another creep to come over to harass Maria. He recognises her from somewhere, somewhere pornographic. Mm. And Maria insists it was just a deep fake where the guy starts to rub the top of his legs and makes a whore face. Yeah. Maria runs off just as Kelly finishes her shite and the two of them leave. On the way home, Kelly now fucks off to the co-op and I'm starting to suspect Kelly here. Maria is on the phone to Gary when she gets a weird notification on her phone letting her know that there's a tracking device on her. Panicking, Maria suddenly sees the prick from the press conference and the porno prick coming towards her from either side of the street and she has a panic attack. She pours the contents of her bag onto her street. She pours the contents of her bag onto the street searching for the tracker when she senses someone behind her and she, I've written pepper sprays, the guy, and it turns out to be the undertaker. You yeah. think it's hairspray. Yeah, because he would have to go to the hospital yeah, if it was not pepper blinded, spray, right. because that was really close. Yeah, it was quite above it. Right. George is quick to recover from this potentially blinding attack from Maria. She explains the situation to him, and the two of them retire to Nina's roles to have a better look at the contents of her bag. And Nina helps. And it's Nina who identifies the device because she's young and hip. Maria doesn't think there's any way to turn it off, so she throws it to the floor and smashes it with her shoe, reckoning it was planted on her at lunch. Back home, Maria fills Gary in. But not like that. And then explains what happened. She, she had to do it one more time. <laughs> you did. He suggests going to the police and is gutted to learn that Maria smashed the tracker earlier with a shoe on the floor of Nina's rolls. He reckons that the person who tracked her must know that they've been uh, rumbled now. And Maria and Gary know that they know that they know that they know. Right. The police are worse than useless because this kind of shite apparently is legal. It's legal to plant a tracker on someone so long as you don't have any nefarious... Without their content and consent, yeah. As long as you don't have any nefarious designs on it. Well, apparently, it uh, appears that revenge porn is also legal in the UK. I think it's, it's nefarious just planting the tracker on in the first place. Just right. the action of it is enough. Revenge porn is illegal here in the United States. Mm. You will get charged for things like that. But in the UK, apparently it's fine. I don't think it was, but it's... Certainly seems a, a bit muddy and, at, at best. Yeah, and this whole oh, it's okay for somebody. The device itself is not illegal, obviously, because it's it's like that thing that you bought me a couple of years ago that I've never used for mm -hmm. my keys. Yeah, yeah, those are legal, but it's it should be illegal to put that on someone you don't know or without their consent. This this is a consent issue. Yeah, the police need proof that there was intent to harm. Maria explains about the death threats. The police need proof that it was intent to harm. Maria explains about the two dodgy blocks of the function, one of whom Gary has assaulted at the press conference. And the police promise to look into it. But they have their fingers crossed and are sniggering behind their hands. Back home, Kelly's kicking herself that she keeps missing all the excitement. They have to pretend everything is normal when Liam comes back, still bald from his Captain Picard cosplay from the other week. Oh yeah, you missed that. They dressed up as Star Trek for, uh, for Liam's birthday. I missed that? Well, don't know if you missed it. You didn't see it, put it that way. While everyone is off getting pizza for tea, Maria secretly calls the school to advise them that Liam won't be in class tomorrow. Did he look similar to remember when the Big Bang Theory did that? And it was uh, Leonard who was dressed was, up as Captain Picard, the shortest person in the group. It was very Liam, much based on that, yeah. yeah. Um, who Kelly, was Data? Kelly was Spock. I don't think anyone was Data. Oh, boo. Kelly who? was Spock. 
Gary was a, a red shirt, I think. Just, just a, was he Scotty? Scotty wears a red shirt. He's no, the only red shirt who lives. I don't know. Because and he's I, Scottish. I, I don't know. And this uh, line of questioning is making me want to rip my eyes out. <laughs> On Friday, Kelly's up and bright and breezy and she's stuffing envelopes full of cash. Gary doesn't seem to notice. She says that she has a day off for a project. Meanwhile, Maria's calling in sick to work because Liam's not well, which is news to everyone. And Gary correctly suspects that this is tracker related. Addy runs into Kelly at the bus stop and they talk about her repayment scheme. She has to admit that Gary doesn't know anything about it. And then PC Tinker arrives at the Rose Gold flat. Liam assumes it's because he's dog in school, which I thought was quite funny, but it's actually about the troller. The cops have had a word with him. This is a guy from the press conference. Mm -hmm. And PC Tinker wants to know if Maria is interested in taking this further, but it wasn't actually a crime to put the tracker in the bag. Frustrated, she tells PC Tinker to keep looking for the guy with the tracker. And I thought maybe it was a porno guy that was a guy that was really weird. But no, right. it's the first guy because he actually threatened her. Right, yeah. And that's that's the only thing that they've been able to prove is that he has made online threats. And that actually is, I guess, illegal right. in the UK. When Gary learns about this, he's keen to celebrate he's keen to celebrate the, the fact that they've warned the guy, I think. Right. And this it's it's I liked that they I the conversation with PC Tinker and um Maria. I really liked how that went that you know he said we can press charges if you're interested in pressing charges and maria's like of course i want to press yeah, why charges wouldn't why wouldn't I? why wouldn't i because that those are converse that's a real life conversation right there with yeah. the cops like are you sure you want to press charges do you really want to ruin this guy's life or is do, this really important it's a lot of paperwork for me if you really right. want to go and do this do you really you want sure to? you really want to mm. you know Call call to justice this guy who did something who who terrorized you? Yes, of course I do. Yes, please. Yes, please. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So he's keen to Gary that is he's keen to celebrate. Uh, so he coerces Maria to agree to a pub lunch. All the while, the weirdo from the press conference is loitering in a bush outside. Back from town. Not like that. Ad, no, exactly like that. Addy <laughs> has been walking around with Kelly. She hands out money to people with hot dog tattoos. Before he can do any more, Evelyn comes along to complain about having to cover for him, so he gives her double time for another few hours. And this lets Addy insist on a milkshake from Kelly for his help. But not like that. Sadly, not one of them has a taco turtle tattoo. Nobody, I think. I think you're probably the only person in the world to have a taco turtle tattoo. I think most people... Turtle taco. Listening to this would have no idea what we're talking about. Well. Later. Outside, Maria's accosted by the horrible press conference guy who gives her a hard time for calling the police. What about freedom of speech? You're not in America. (laughs) This sends Maria back home. And before he can do anything to help, Gary gets a call from Sharon. Not that Sharon. And also freedom of speech doesn't mean that you can say whatever you want to anybody you want. Newsflash. It's it's that the government can't control Anina rolls. Addy asks Kelly out for a curry later. Kelly agrees, and as Addy is trying to figure out if this is really a date, Kelly gets a call from Sharon now, and she leaves. Sharon has grasped up Kelly to Gary, and he's furious. And at this, Kelly comes in, and Gary wastes no time in being furious at her. This has to stop, yells Gary. You're not my fucking dad, yells Kelly. And she runs off, and it's not clear why she came back in the first place, mm. but she came back to get changed right. for the date. Yes. So she bumps into Addy outside and fills him in. But not like that. He's glad their date is still on, but wonders if she's going to dress up. And she fucks off without answering. 
back at the flat, Gary is sorry for the upset given Maria isn't having the best of days, but suggests that he goes off to try and find her. Maria rightly thinks that he'll just make matters worse, but Gary is untalkdownable. He leaves and Maria immediately locks the door. Hmm. Gary goes off into Dev's looking for Kelly, but finds Addy comparing shirts. He explains about so his cute. date with Kelly later, but doesn't know where she is at the minute. And Gary seems pleased and wishes him luck. Yes. Meanwhile, Kelly is knocking on the door in a dodgy as fuck part of town. She gives somebody to a Phil Mitchell lookalike who knows that she's Rick Nealon's daughter somehow. And as soon as she's gone, he gets on the phone, presumably to Grant Mitchell, to say, you're never going to believe he just knocked at my door. Hmm. Addy arrives on time for his date with Kelly, but there's no sign of her. Which I think the, the guy has got to turn up early, hasn't he? Yeah, he was two minutes late. Yeah, you've got to turn up early for that. Be a good guy. Later, Asha comes in to, to speed dial and sees Addy, who thinks that he might have been stood up. Kelly is an hour and 20 minutes late. Yeah, you're definitely stood up. Yeah, and he's got some stuff on his shirt. Orange, was it mango chutney or something? Yes, it was chutney. He's worried that he's Also, comment- Ryan is very cute in the scene. Yeah, because he's bucking, been there and done that, right? Bucking Addy up. He's worried that his comment about her changing uh, clothes has put her off. So, meanwhile... Gary, and Asha says, it's like you've never talked to a woman before. Gary gets back from his search. It's been in vain, and now he's feeling guilty about leaving Marie on her own. But she's been cheered up by a message from her mum or something about a little girl who's been inspired by her election win and has run for class president. Whatever. This convinces Maria to go back to work. So Maria's been convinced to go back to work now over the last couple of weeks by Sally and now by an anonymous little girl. Do they have class presidents in the United Kingdom? Wouldn't it be class prime minister? No. (laughs) Gary is more relaxed because he expects Kelly is with Addy at speed dial. But she's not there. No. And she didn't come home to change, which Maria thinks is odd. She's been thrown into a dungeon and is now at the mercy of Buffalo Bill from The Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> The Grabber from Black Phone, or Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Just Kevin Spacey. Right. And that's how we end this week's episode. So, somehow, that dodgy guy yeah. was able to contact someone on the phone, get together with that person, find out where Kelly has gone, mm-hmm. grabbed her, mm-hmm. And thrown her in a basement. Mm, fashioned a dungeon. Or maybe, let's give them the benefit and say that the, the dungeon was pre-existing. Right, and already had a skanky mattress in it. Got to have a skanky mattress. It's not a dungeon if you don't have a skanky mattress, that's the rule. Eh, you know what? What? It's shocking this hasn't happened already. With Kelly going by herself to go to these people. For, for a month. dodgy neighbourhoods, dodgy people, and handing them money from a bag that presumably has, has more, more money, money in, in it. it. Right. It's shocking this hasn't happened already. As much as I don't want Kelly to ever have any more problems because for Christ's sake, she's buried both of her parents this year. Let's go easy. And she's been homeless. Let's go easy on the kid. But I don't get how street smart Kelly doesn't realize how much danger she's in doing this. Right. And didn't realize that she was being followed. And didn't know how to get away from those people. And she has been doing this for months because we saw her. Yeah. You know, before we went on vacation, going into the tram. Right. Uh, the tram station with the bag. Right. And it was never talked about. Right. So we presume that this has been happening right. quite a bit in the interim here. I do have to say, though, Addie and Kelly, not yeah, mad at it. Yeah, it works. Not mad at it. It works. It works. It works. 
I would much rather he be with Kelly than Summer. Summer doesn't deserve him. You know the problem with, with uh, Addy and Summer is they're both kind of on the same level. They're both intellectual. How right? dare you say that about my Addy? Intellectually, they're, they're both kind of on the same level. But here, they're with Kelly. They're two very different characters because Addy is a kind of more quiet, reserved sort. I think a bit more uh, bookish, and Kelly is definitely not that. I don't see Addy as being bookish. He's smart. He's, he is constantly going about with his spreadsheets. He's he's working out rotas and stuff like that. He's, right, but that's work. That's not. That's that nerd. At that at that age, I think that's kind of bookish. Yeah, I guess so. They both have a good sense of humor, Addy and Kelly, and they play off of one another quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think they've got enough differences about them as well as enough similarities to make it work. Yes. So so they they have that chemistry and i'm not even sorry for simon <laughs> he will never get his hole off of kelly or let's anyone say, else anyone <laughs> that yeah. is an incel story that is going to happen at some point there yeah simon and max and, like, they're yeah. gonna they're gonna form the manchester branch of the proud boys at one at one of these days yeah the pc tanker leading the <laughs> leading the procession because he's the one, he's the one of them who did get his hole. Right. So that makes him a god in their eyes. Right. Yeah. Addy and Kelly, may it yeah. may it continue because yeah, I, like I ain't that. mad at it. So who's kidnapped Kelly and why? People who don't know that Rick the Chin is dead, and are are going to try to ransom her to Rick the Chin, who is dead. Well, that's going to drag on for a bit. <laughs> So how did... Maybe it's the kidnappers that are going to solve this. Maybe the kidnappers, so determined to find Rick the Chin, find Rick the Chin and manage to, are... to pin it on Gary. Rick the Chin's already been found. Oh yeah, I keep on forgetting that. He's already been buried properly now. Yeah. That's, got, that's the funeral we got to see. That's why that was allowed to happen. That's the funeral that's we were right. allowed to see. That's right. Gary's going to kill again. Begin again? Gary's going to kill again. And so is Tracy. Who's Gary going to kill? Oh, Gary's going to kill the Phil Mitchell lookalike. And Tracy's going to kill Steve. Do you think that's why it is good? Well, I guess Phil Mitchell says you are Rick the Chin's daughter. Right. Now, how he knows that? Because she said, she's like, "Um, I know that you and my dad did some dealings. Oh, that's right. And he, and you know, and he owed you money. So here's the money that he owed you. I wonder why this guy's still got a beef about it because he hasn't paid anything to anybody in years right he's not got over that clearly yeah it it feels like there's something else going on there Mm. you know but again is it because kelly is an attractive young lady does that got something to do with it? i don't think so it better not because i'm just i just i can't deal with i can't deal with another sexual assault on the show i really can't no i don't know who the the guy is that would learn something about himself in that scenario Addy? Gary. Maybe Well, Gary. Gary's already learned something about himself by causing the death of a young woman. Yeah. And also being a very bad partner to Maria and now being a very good partner to Maria. He's a good guy. He's a good guy now. He's a good guy now. Yeah. I'm thinking this is maybe a, a bigger storyline then. Yeah. That's about to kick off here. Yeah. You don't think a kidnapping's going to get... Not if they've built a dungeon set and secured the services of a fishy mattress. Right. 
you know, they put some effort into creating this thing. That window's and cracked. Where is it? Where that, is it? That window is cracked, though. So I have a feeling she she could get out if she mm. put some effort into it. Maybe this I is maybe this is the British version of the black phone. But Kelly, Kelly yeah, needs to we, catch a break. Can we please leave Kelly alone now? Why is there always a, a woman that needs to catch a break? Whether it's Nina or uh, Abby. Or Kelly. Or Maria. Or Yasmin. Or Audrey. <laughs> or Shona. Or Gail. Or Rita. Or Daisy. Not Rita. Rita was trapped under a tree. Well, that's hardly can't catch a break. <laughs> she can't catch a break because she she's under a tree. She has a seasonal accident. <laughs> Maria, on the periphery of this, seems to be having the makings of some kind of agoraphobic reaction to her trolling where she's now terrified of going out and being alone which is is that the opposite of agoraphobic no it's it's agoraphobic what's agoraphobic is that, that the, the, the fear of being fear angry of the, the rational fear of goat's will <laughs> that would be angoraphobic oh thank you very much <laughs> That's this week's joke. <laughs> Tara thought it was shitting on tables. No. Um, it's just a blunt fact. It, it does seem like her anxiety is ramped up, but it doesn't feel irrational no. to me. But these things become irrational. They, they have a, a very real trigger, but six months down the line when this is no longer a, an issue, she still has fear about going out. That becomes more well, irrational, doesn't we'll it? See, we'll see if that, if that happens. I don't know, we, we plant these seeds and then we think, well, they're not going to make a story out of that. And then they make a story out of that. So I think they have a bit of form here. Anyway, that was the week that was Coronation Street. And I think we're going to maybe get this under two hours, which is remarkable. Yes. What was your moment of the week? Oh, you forgot you had to do this. No, no. It's just... Is it Addie and Kelly flirting? No. It's kind of my moment of the week. Because I ain't mad at it. Uh... Has Ed been electrocuted? <laughs> it's not Ed being electrocuted. Okay. Is it homeless shoe getting drunk? <sighs> is it is it Phil holding up the boombox outside the factory? <sighs> no, it's not. Cause I kinda think it was. It's Phil it's Phil and Tyrone in the honeymoon suite with Tyrone with the mud mask on and showing off his tattoo. No, it's Phil holding up the boombox in the street. Because that's actually a good movie, unlike. Is it? Un- unlike fucking Love Actually, which is the worst movie in the history of movies. Oh sure, people love that movie. <laughs> Except for Robo Dog. People love that movie. I know, I know, and it infuriates me that people think that's romantic. <laughs> Those are the same people that think Thomas Jefferson and and Sally Hemings were romantic. Or I'm, maybe- I'm, I'm sure there's people who like Love Actually who have no idea. Who either of those people are? There are people in the world who don't know who Thomas Jefferson is. Mm-hmm. Of course, and that he raped his slave. Well, if you don't know who he is, then you don't know what he's done. So I think the people who who know about the rape aspect of Thomas Jefferson are fewer than the number of people who know who Thomas Jefferson is. Probably. Anyway. Probably. <laughs> Do you think everybody? Oh, sorry, we, we've had the we've had the the, the moment. This what is week your Helen agrees with me? <laughs> what is your boring moment of the week? Uh, see, I kind of think that this is your job. I never think about this too much. 
Is it is it Phil doing the Love Actually part? <laughs> no. <laughs> is it? Is it Tim watching porn? No. Is it Tim typing in adult movies onto Vogel? No, that's that's the ridiculous moment of the week. <laughs> I find the Abby and Wendy stuff kind of dull. No, that was sweet. Was it? I liked it. Uh, Sally's okay. podcast with Sting. That was kind of funny. Abby describing how to make toasted cheese. Wrongly. Yeah. I don't know what she added to it, but that's not roasted cheese that she's making. Well, it was cheese on top of cheese. See, that does sound good. <laughs> oh, do you know what? It's David it, going on about fucking Stephen. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. I oh, can agree I, to that. I never hit the button for the moment of the week. Oh, well. See what the moment of the week is again. Phil and his boombox are the moment of the week. Our moment of the week. And our boring moment of the week is David being a prick about Steve. And moment of Steve and Stephen, why there would they go. do this to oh, us? Yes. All right, then. This yep. is taking a couple of hours, so let's wrap this one up. Please. If you want to hear more about our vacation, yes. which I can't imagine is the case. Or hear us argue some more about Tim's Bobby. This is a podcast for you. If you like arguing about Tim's Bobby, <laughs> we, we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and hell on a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.